Hello and welcome to another episode of Journeys and today my special guest is Shona Louise. Shona, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you for having me. Problem. Thank you for taking time out your, your day to to talk to me and, and, and tell your story. So, first of all, how are you, how are you been? How's uh, 2021 treating you? Because we're in March already, which is a bit bonkers. Yeah, I can't really get my head around how quick it's been. I feel like, you know, the last year went really quick, but these first few months have sped by as well, I think. Now we're kind of hopefully towards the end of all of this. Everything's kind of speeding up a little bit and life's getting a bit busier again. Yeah, are you managing to, I'm guessing you're working from home, so you're managing to balance that right work and, and chill kind of environment? Yeah, definitely. I was already self-employed and working from home before all of this, so um, okay. that was no different for me. But I mean, the balance of, you know, work and rest is always difficult when you're self-employed. You kind of struggle to switch off a lot, and I'm definitely dealing with that at the moment. Especially now that before, obviously before, you before pre-pandemic, you could go out and do whatever you want, whereas now you're kind of like, I'll go for a walk, and that's about it. <laughs> exactly. You know, if I'm just sitting around, I'm like, well, I might as well work then. <laughs> Yeah, it's just very sad. Uh, I, I respect everyone who's doing it because it's like, you kind of think, you just like, if you suppose the, the common journey is bedroom to office or wherever you work and like, it just becomes a bit, bit same and you think, I, I don't know. For me personally, I feel like I struggle because I need that a completely different environment to be able to switch off and on. Yeah, and it does become quite monotonous and sort of every day is the same. Mm, imagine yeah. So with all my guests, um, I like to go back to the beginning, really, whether that's from childhood or wherever your disability really came into play. So the stage is yours. Yeah. So um, I've got a condition called Marfan syndrome, uh, which is a genetic connective tissue disorder. And you can kind of think of connective tissue like the glue that holds everything together in your body. Um, and my mum was aware that she had it when she was pregnant with me so I was essentially diagnosed from birth so I've known my whole life that I have this condition she's um, worked hard to educate me on it at appointments I was encouraged to ask questions to get involved you know never to just sit back and let her do the talking and so I feel like that kind of environment growing up in was already quite sort of empowering and I was in a better position than most people I think when I hit my teen years and my health started going downhill that I knew why it was happening I knew how to deal with it you know it wasn't completely alien to me. Do you want to kind of elaborate on what that condition is and what it entails? Yeah so it's a syndrome and it affects the whole body really um, most of my problems have been skeletal and joint problems uh, mostly problems with my spine but it can affect everything from your heart to your eyes you know you get joint hypermobility spinal problems like scoliosis which I had a spinal fusion for in 2013 followed up by a revision surgery and then also I had a hip replacement when I was 18 so there's loads of different things it can affect and right now the kind of the the next stage I'm at with it is waiting for heart surgery at the moment. Uh, I've seen you uh, speak about that actually on on social media a bit. So is it not something that you kind of expect to be dealing with you know at a young age I suppose? 
Yeah, exactly. It wasn't a surprise that I needed it, but it was a surprise that I needed it so young. You know, I'd my heart had always been stable for all of my yearly checkups. And so I thought that I'd probably be having surgery in my 30s or my 40s, not my early 20s. So from that perspective, it was definitely a surprise that it needed to happen now. So you was born with it. So going through education, was that what was that like for you? Was, was it, did you go through mainstream or was it a uh, disability kind of, yeah, focused place? Yeah, so I went through mainstream school because up until I was about 13, 14 years old, other than a bit of joint pain, my condition didn't really affect me all that much. It wasn't until I hit puberty that a lot of the problems started coming up. And that was right about the time that I did my TCSEs. And it, it caused a lot of problems because I went from looking like I was a you know an average teenager you know keeping up my work getting good grades to suddenly you know being disabled and needing all of these different things and my school just really did not know how to deal with that you know they seemed to deal with other students well who had joined the school um, in the same position that they were in now you know the same kind of disability the same kind of needs but they really didn't know how to cope with the fact that my needs had changed and I went from being someone that slipped under the radar didn't cause any problems to suddenly I need all of this help and support and they dealt with it really badly basically. Perfect timing by the sounds of it you just a bit decides to to really come on to it just when you're just when you do GCSEs. Yeah exactly it was I found myself needing major spinal surgery uh, when I was 15 16 years old um, and the initial plan was that I'd have it done in the summer holidays so I could recover I wouldn't miss any school and then I could start sixth form with everyone else but that is not what happened I had a complication I had to spend more time at home but that is where my school completely failed me because they didn't send any work home they didn't allow me that space to catch up and so by the time I was in a place where I could probably rejoin a year had passed and you know, there was just no support there and we had no idea how to go about getting that support to get me back to school. So I just had to drop out of doing my A-levels. Do you think the reason they didn't help was because they didn't want you or, like you said, they just probably might have not experienced anything like that and didn't know how to? Yeah, no one had any idea of kind of the, the processes in my mind. You know, my mum works in a school of disabled children and so we know the processes quite well. You know, if someone had just passed me over to the special education needs team, they could have sorted it. You know, my school had that in place, but because I think they still viewed me in some way as non-disabled, as, you know, I just had like a minor rop and I was going to come back and everything would be back to normal. And they kind of had no idea how to deal with it. But even before that, you know, my scoliosis caused me a lot of pain while I was at school and I struggled to get some of my lessons on the top floors. And instead of them saying, well, let's move the rooms around, let's move the classes, you know, I found myself in the library doing worksheets in one of the most important years of my school life. Yeah, I can, I can completely relate with scoliosis. I've got that myself and it is an absolute killer sometimes. It really just dehabilitates you really, doesn't it? It's... Definitely. I was the kind of person that education was everything to me. You know, I had such big aspirations. You know, I was going to go to university. I wanted to go into medicine. So it was really derailing to have all of that disrupted and to have to, you know, think about where my life was going to go instead. Hmm. And what, what was your 
your kind of go-to or favourite subjects in school? Was it like quite academic focused? Yeah, I really loved maths. Maths was my favourite and English as well. But I just, I loved school, you know, there wasn't really a subject that I hated. I loved being in an educational environment, really. Mm. So, so what, did you have like a, Lisa just said then she wanted to go into medicine, but did you have a, an idea going through GCSEs and that, did you kind of focus on any particular subjects? Or were you, like you said, you just so you love school that much you just wanted to just do as well as you can in every possible subject yeah that was kind of the plan really you know and I I'm really proud of how well I did despite how failed I was you know I think it was myself and one other teacher who kind of got me through my GCSE and got me the grades that I needed um, but yeah it all fell apart after that so I think I realized quite early on that you know everything that I had planned out was not going to happen and you said that once you did, did you have that one teacher the people I've spoke to who have gone through school especially secondary school as a disabled person there's always someone in there whether it's a teacher or some sort of support staff that believes in them no matter what happened did you ever, ever have that at one person yeah I definitely did my um form tutor who'd also been my English teacher for years was absolutely incredible he completely got it and he fought for me when no one else would and you know was really kind of there as a mentor that you know I think without him I would have fallen apart completely and probably wouldn't have the grades that I have now. It's I'm guessing because we spent a number of years because he obviously knew how knew what made you click and whenever you was feeling down he could kind of pick up and say you know you can do this yeah exactly you know he never questioned me he seemed to completely get it and we you know we me and my mum would go in and we'd show him like my x-rays and things like that to kind of bring a bit of reality to the situation I think and that really helped mm. so going from secondary school as you said the obviously you've got you say you get the good grades from GCSE yeah, good grades from my GCSEs so what what was the you said sixth form but obviously that yeah that uh time in the summer where a kind of unexpected turn how what was what did that then lead you to be doing then obviously kind of throwing everything up in the air really yeah so after that once I dropped out my A-levels we kind of thought for a while well maybe I could go to college and I could do it there you know maybe open university would be an option but after that it was kind of one health problem after another you know once my spine had been sorted that's when I started having hip problems and I had the hip replacement at 18 and it was kind of from that point onwards that there wasn't really long enough a break to focus on education and to get me back into the system really. And on your actual condition was it diagnosed early was it or is it something come later on in, in life? Yeah, so Marfan syndrome um, was diagnosed practically from birth, but it was the secondary conditions like the scoliosis and the hip problems that came later on in life. So going obviously hip replacement at 18, you you know rarely ever hear about you. It's like, like we were saying earlier about having your heart surgery. It's some of the you only really expect for someone in their 40s and 50s and beyond. So what, what was that like for you? mentally to kind of process that and then the recovery <clears throat> following that yeah it was really hard and because I turned 18 it was the first operation that I was having um, on an adult ward you know I wasn't in a pediatric environment anymore which is incredibly different on its own and it was really odd and quite lonely being on a ward with mostly elderly people you know I felt quite 
alone quite different like there was no one else kind of going through the same thing as me um I guess that's kind of the beauty of social media that later on I did find younger people who had also had a hip replacement but at the time when you are you know 18 years old on a ward with mostly 17 80 year olds it is really isolating and lonely I suppose you kind of if I'm wrong, but kind of does it kind of give you the message yourself that you sh almost shouldn't be here you see the kind of people that are around it almost alienating yourself really yeah definitely and I've had a lot of people you know make little comments every now and then about you know how young I am to be having a hip replacement and you know was it really necessary and you know all of these different you know questions which I understand you know it's really young to be having that but even I would sit back then and think, well, was this the right thing to do? Should I have been having this operation when no one else seems to understand why it was necessary? So, it, yeah, it's really isolating when you find yourself in an environment where you are the odd one out. Mm -hmm. You mentioned social media damage. Did you ever, would you want someone to have a lot of friends going through your teen years or would you like kind of one or two and then most of the time keeping yourself to yourself kind of person? Yeah, so I had a couple of, you know, close friends in a, a friendship group, but I, I was very much a kind of I liked my own company kind of person. And, you know, unfortunately, and for no one's, you know, for oh, once I'd had my spinal surgery and I hadn't returned to school, those friendships kind of fizzled out, you know, which, you know, I don't blame anyone particularly for, you know, we were teenagers, you know, if I didn't know how to deal with having major surgery, then, you know, my friends sure won't. Um, so yeah it kind of fizzled out from there really it's going through that that kind of period where he was having those serious operations i'm guessing social media was quite a, a an important cog in that kind of almost keeping yourself sane really and you know keeping in touch with the the you know the outside world so to speak Absolutely. I mean, without my blog, I don't know where I would have been, you know, I would have struggled to have found my purpose in life, I think. And it was really key in me getting through the, the tougher parts of my life. You know, it was really lovely that I, I started my blog before my health even got worse. And it just so happened that it was the thing that, you know, would save me when it would happen. Going on to your, your blog, what you said you started that before your condition started to worsen. What was what what caused you to start and what what was it to begin with yeah so I started my blog when I was 14 so nearly 10 years ago now um and I started it just because I felt a bit isolated at school I didn't really felt like I fitted in anywhere and it was just when YouTube and blogging was starting to gain some traction so when I came across these communities online I thought okay this is you know something that I think I could be a part of and feel like I was a part of something and it was beauty blogging that I got into at first it was just one of the first communities I came across and one of sort of the the fastest growing ones at the time um, so I got myself involved with that when I was 14 years old um, and then slowly you know as my health changed what I was writing about began to change as well. So to begin with it was very much just beauty and obviously then you didn't I'm guessing you didn't really consider yourself disabled and so it's just another girl kind of thing yeah definitely so when I um found out I had scoliosis and I was going to need surgery I had all of these questions that I just couldn't find the answers to online like you know there were no teenage girls talking about catheters online you know there were so many questions that I had you know, I want to just 
I guess, been bold enough to answer. Um, and so I decided that, well, why don't I document the whole process? You know, I had my mum take photos of me in hospital. She kept a diary of the week I was in hospital. And then I put it all on my blog and the reaction it got, you know, even today, I still receive emails and messages occasionally from people saying, you know, thank you for sharing this. It made me feel less alone. And I guess the, the more messages I got like that, the more I thought, okay, there's something here, you know, I feel alone, but by sharing this, I can help alleviate that feeling for everyone else. And is it very much the, if you're helping one person, you're doing something right and worthwhile? Absolutely. You know, it gave me such a purpose and something to focus on during the day, you know, because this was even before, you know, like Netflix was properly a thing. You know, I didn't mm. even think of what I would have spent my day doing if I hadn't had my blog. And so how did your blog evolve over the years? Obviously, your conditions worse and you had those quite uh, serious separations. And was it, did it become like primarily focused on your disability and experiences? Yeah, it was kind of a natural change, you know, the more that disability became part of my life, the more I talked about it. And, you know, coming across the disability community online made me feel really empowered to start, you know, identifying as disabled before that, you know, I would see myself as chronically ill, you know, a, a spoonie. And to me, that was kind of like a, a gentle introduction into the world of disability. But the more I wrote about it, the more I talked to other people, I thought, okay, no, this is me, you know, and this is a community I identify with. And it was when that my mobility started being heavily affected. I started using a wheelchair part-time that I really began to talk about things then because of course that's when you start to come across a lot of access barriers in the world. Could you use, I'm probably didn't if I'm putting you on the spot here, but is, is there one blog or piece that you kind of can point to and go that was kind of I don't know the catalyst if you get what I mean yeah I think you know partly all of my posts about my spinal surgery and then also when I started writing about um, my wheelchair and how I viewed my wheelchair as something that gave me freedom and independence rather than something negative you know it was mm. talking about that quite that empowering conversation um, that got such a reaction from people made me realize that you know a I can make people feel less alone but also I can educate non-disabled people on you know the realities of this and actually it's not the worst thing in the world to have to be using a wheelchair and is it do you think it's because almost she was obviously a young girl in you know the day at the at the age of the internet and you was almost a new kind of thing to many people whether disabled or not so them seeing you was quite like you said empowering and just gives you gives everyone else a look into you know not this stereotypical life you'd expect a teenage girl to be a part of yeah definitely and a lot of what I wrote would be reacting to things that happened in my day-to-day -day life you know I started uh, writing to shops and businesses to ask why they didn't have step-free access and it was those kind of conversations that happened in my everyday you know outside of social media life that then fueled what I was going to write online and I found that you know even though these conversations in real life had stopped or people were perhaps not being very receptive I realized that actually I could take this online and you know bring it to an even bigger audience. And you, you mentioned your your mom quite a few times, and I'm guessing she was quite a big part of you know, your entire 
you know, childhood, teenage years and was seemed to be always by your side no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I credit my attitude um, towards my condition and my disability to her. You know, every appointment growing up, she encouraged me to talk to the doctors. She never sugarcoated anything. You know, when I found out I needed heart surgery, it wasn't a surprise because she prepared me my whole life for the fact that that was going to happen one day. You know, if she hadn't done those things, then life would be a lot harder to deal with. So, yeah, she's been instrumental in, you know, supporting me and encouraging me as well. You know, when life took a completely different path she said you know do what makes you happy and that makes a big difference when you have someone like that supporting you so obviously your your blog was growing and growing and you come to kind of the 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 now I suppose and what what do you think what do you think's changed the most since you started the blog to what it is now apart from obviously it being more focused on you and your disability Yeah, I mean, the fact that it's brought me to where I am today with my career, you know, I never thought for one minute that I would ever be paid to write anything, you know, I loved creative writing at school, but I I never even envisioned that as being a potential career option. And without my blog, you know, I wouldn't have the job that I have today and all of the incredible opportunities I have, you know, I, I say a lot that everything I've achieved in my life, even all of the relationships I have, I can link back to my disability in some way. And what we obviously say now, you can, you can actually do something you enjoy as a profession, as a job. What was the what was the first time that happened to you? And that when you, when someone approached and said, "Do you want to write this?" and we'll pay you X amount. And how? What was that? What was yeah, your feeling so against that? I got uh, an unpaid job, um, which was uh, writing for a charity's magazine. And that was the first kind of writing work I got, even though it was unpaid. And that was kind of the moment that I realised that maybe this is something that I could do. And it was kind of years later when I I finally started getting approached to write paid work. And I think it was a a piece for Metro that I'd written that I realised that actually this could be a regular thing. I could turn this into work. And, you know, at the time I'd been on employment and support allowance since I was 17. You know, I'd never been able to have you know, a regular job, full-time work, you know, a wage that, you know, that would be mine. And so it was incredible when I started getting these offers to be paid to write. And you said you like creative writing. What is it, do you think, about that kind of writing aspect that, that kind of really draws you in? I think there's two sides of it. There's one side, it's really cathartic. For me, writing about my experiences, writing about the surgeries I've had, you know, even writing about the the negative, you know, access problems I have and attitudes I experience is really cathartic to kind of get out of your system. And then there's the other side of it where just over time, I've begun to see the power of words and that, you know, I think it was it was the plastic straw debate, actually, that really made me see that, campaigning and writing could make such a difference you know there was a lot of negative reactions of course but also a lot of people saying I'd never thought of it this way I'd never considered that people needed this and it was those kind of reactions that spurred me on and made me realize that you know not only did I enjoy this but it also helped people. So coming on to the 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 now obviously the past 12 months, 18 months or so. It's obviously hasn't been much different for you. Like you said at the start, you've always been working from home anyway. But what has the 
has the pandemic pandemic changed anything about you and how you go about your work and what have you is it is it changed slightly what you're writing about or has things stayed fairly the same I think it's really shifted my life's priorities um before the pandemic you know I was going to the theatre several times a week you know I was in London several times a week coming back at like midnight which was amazing and I loved it um but like now my priorities in life have completely changed you know now I I want to keep writing I want regular work I want a bit of job security as much as I love being freelance and self-employed so in in that way you know this past year has changed a lot and it's made me really hone in on what is important to me and what matters to me the most and um, like I said there was, was theatre and performing arts was that your kind of escape or was that kind of your escape obviously pre-pandemic Absolutely. Yeah, it was a complete escape for me. You know, when I got my current power chair um, before that, I was mostly housebound. So when I received that, you know, I was kind of catching up for lost time. I always told people, by, you know, seeing as many different shows as possible and just immersing myself in that. And it was such a huge escape. You know, it's, it's so different to me from listening to music or watching a film, you know, when you're sat in a theatre, there's only one thing that you can focus on. And I just, I love that feeling. And you mentioned, obviously, you've got a power chair and obviously growing up, you was, you know, you didn't, I think you probably use aids here and there, but are you in, is that power chair, is that, is that you and power chair 24-7 now? So I use my power chair full time outside of my home. So inside I can uh, get around with furniture walking, you know, we have, um different handrails etc around the house to you know facilitate that but yeah I can walk sort of from room to room but any further than that I need my chair mm-hmm. what obviously it's been a quite a big I've seen a lot of it on social media the past couple of weeks actually kind of the 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 message around women's chairs and, and powered chairs and that you know most if, if another disabled person saw one of thought oh bless them look they have to be in a wheelchair, you know, blah, blah, blah. But what do you think the right message is that needs to be put out there that if you've always said about the independence and the freedom it gives you, how, how would you expand on that, that message yeah. and that image around them? I mean, all you have to do is kind of look at my life before and after a wheelchair, you know, before the furthest I was getting was to ask to appointment or to the local shop you know I didn't really have a life I was stuck inside all of the time but as soon as I received my power chair I was able to take on jobs in person if I wanted to go to the theatre three times a week I could it enabled me to get out enough to meet friends to meet my girlfriend you know it opened up so many doors for me that it's a no-brainer to me that it is the most positive thing that's happened in my life you know receiving that wheelchair you cannot underestimate the impact of that kind of independence you know and I've had people come up to me in the street and say you know I'll pray for you I hope you walk one day and you know sometimes I just brush it off but sometimes I will just turn around and say you know actually I've probably got you know a more exciting day ahead than you have you know I have an incredible life the things that I get to do and it's my power chair that facilitates that you know without that it would not happen. And what would you say to someone who maybe is in your position that you was when you was kind of, you know, mid-teens and have the they have the prospect of potentially using a wheelchair later on in life? What would you say to, or kind of, I suppose, what would you say to your younger self, really? 
yeah i ignore society you know ignore all of the messages out there that pain wheelchairs and any mobility aids any disability aid is being negative because at the end of the day that's all it is it's an aid to facilitate you to live your life it doesn't matter whether i walk or wheel somewhere you know when i get there i'm doing the same thing it's just something that gets me from a to b it helps me live my life in the same way as my peers you know it just looks a little bit different you know, I think we really have to get away from this idea of wheelchairs being so medical and, you know, being kind of fenced off for a certain group of people. You know, I wish I'd started using a wheelchair sooner, but I really believe that the only people who, you know, use wheelchairs who deserve to use wheelchairs were those with, you know, spinal cord injuries and things like that. And it's those kind of attitudes that stop people living the life they can because they don't think that, you know, a wheelchair is for them, a mobility aid is for them. I suppose it's uh, the same message around, say, like white canes and visually impaired and blind people that, you know, you need to realise. I think there's a bit more and more positive rest around them because people, people realise that it's maybe it's because it's a smaller thing and it can be put away and what have you, but, you know, it's, it just it has the exact same purpose as a wheelchair that it it gives you that independence, it gives you that freedom and allows you to do things on your own that, you know, without it, you, you wouldn't be able to do. Exactly. You know, society views these things as, you know, trapping, you know, people view wheelchairs as prisons and, you know, terms like wheelchair bound, you know, really speaks volumes about that. But actually, you know, if you're someone who thinks a wheelchair might help you, you know, think about all the things that you could do if you did have a wheelchair, if you did get the mobility aid, the disability aid that would help your life. You know, that's all that matters at the end of the day is, is it going to help you? Mm-hmm. You have, forgive me what they're actually the official name, but you're, the things you design, the names completely escape me. Am I, do you know what I'm about? Uh, sorry. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the names, I'm going to, I'll cut this bit out. The things that completely escape me, they're little, Oh, no. <laughs> oh, is it the crochet things I make? That's it, yeah, that's yes. it. That's, <laughs> it's, what, forgive me, I, to be honest, I, obviously, I don't know what they are really. I just yeah. see, like, describe them, but would you want help? What, why did you start with them and what, what, what are they basically? <laughs> yeah, so I opened up an Etsy shop recently where I sell uh, crocheted items like little dinosaurs and bees and crochet is something I've kind of like dabbled with in the past but it was this third lockdown that we're in that both me and my girlfriend kind of picked up crafting a bit more and picked crochet back up and it's you know been really nice to have kind of a hobby that passes the time but also you know I'm setting up my Etsy shop was amazing and the reaction it's had is incredible but yeah it's nice to have something that's very separate from writing and photography and you know all the other bits and bobs that I do that is quite therapeutic I can just sit and make something and it's nice to have kind of that end result it just seemed like a very therapeutic thing quite just something you do on an evening just just to kind of relax your brain and, and your body yeah definitely you know after spending all day staring at a computer street screen and writing it's really nice to just sit down you know and crochet something and is that is that something that you yourself and your girlfriend kind of do together and do like bounce ideas off each other and just what's what you have I think you have you have separate shots if I'm right 
Yes, we do. Yeah. So we don't live together. So everything is kind of separate at the moment. But it's really nice to have something that we can share and do together, even though that we are apart right now. And we kind of will make stuff for each other and send it in the post. And it's yeah, it's nice, you know, therapeutic, but it's also really good, you know, for us to do together. And you mentioned also your photography. Is that something that's is that always been a passion of yours or is that something you've also kind of found recently? Yeah, so I, I bought my first DSLR camera um, just to improve my blog photos, really. And the more I used it, the more I thought, oh, actually, this is quite fun. But I didn't really think anything of it until I got invited to a theatre's press event. And I thought, well, I'll just take my camera along and get a few photos, you know, to put on my blog with my write up. Um, and it was taking those photos that made me realize how much, you know, specifically I enjoyed photographing people and live events and live music. And it was kind of everything tumbled from there, really. And there's a few shows um, in the West End, you know, in the UK that will allow you to take photos um, during the curtain call at the end. And so I used every opportunity I could for those moments to take photos and to get experience and you know for ages it felt like just a bit of a hobby but then it was uh, just over a year ago now that I thought actually I'd quite like to do this you know on a more regular basis. And is it some obviously now it's kind of difficult to kind of get out and about and, and take things but is it something you want to do kind of beyond theatre and maybe like kind of you know outdoorsy kind of style and stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I've not been able to take many jobs in the past year, you know, I've mostly been shielding, but during the summer, you know, when things calmed down a little bit, I was able to take a couple of jobs and most of them were, you know, outdoor theatre and things like that. And that was, you know, incredible. But yeah, it's been hard. You know, I started my photography career just two months before the pandemic began. So it kind of felt like as soon as the momentum got going, you know, everything stopped and shut down. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting back to it. But yeah, it's been hard, everything being on pause. So coming on to the now, uh, I tend to ask everyone kind of what your personal and professional goals are whether it's for the 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 you know the the near future and and beyond that so what would you say they are for you yeah so I've talked a little bit about it on my social media I try and be as open as possible but I was on uh, ESA employment support allowance you know from 17 until last autumn and I'm now on universal credit but one of my biggest you know personal and professional goals is to get to a point where I'm you know earning enough money enough of a wage that I can move away from being on employment benefits altogether you know that would be such a big deal for me as a disabled person that thought you know I would never have you know a, a job that brought me in that enough enough money you know I just didn't think it'd be possible the mixture of not having enough education and also just struggling to find a job that I could physically do. So yeah, when that happens, hopefully sometime this year, that will be a massive deal. Universal credit is a beautiful system. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, I've not been on it for long and hopefully won't be on it for much longer, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I've, I'm, I'm in the middle of trying to get my disability premium and it is an absolute swear word. It's it's, it's not fun and funnily enough although it's disability it's not very inclusive yes it's definitely not it's yeah it's an absolute minefield to navigate the disability benefit system in the UK and just the benefit system you know 
altogether, which is why I've tried to be as open as I can, you know, across my social media to kind of normalize it as well, because I, I really felt that stigma for ages of the fact that I was on unemployment benefits. Mm. So that being your professional prof- professional goal, do you have any, any personal goals of obviously once the world starts spinning again and, and what have you? Yeah, so my biggest one is just moving in with my girlfriend. You know, I think being so apart over this past year has really shown us that that is, you know, one of the the biggest things that we want to focus on right now. As your say your, your relationship with with uh, is it Gemma? Yeah, Gemma. Yeah, is it is that is your relationship probably grew stronger in the past? however many months oh absolutely yeah it's definitely so much stronger and I I guess situations like this will either make or break you and it you know very much for us made us realize what was most important to us in life and that you know it's been incredibly hard not seeing each other much over the past year but it does make you realize that you've got something worth fighting for it's it's that human interaction that I think we all took for granted prior to the pandemic and now it's been this long, we haven't been able to, obviously we've had kind of glimmers of it, you know, say last summer, for example, but it just doesn't, that is, I think that's a, a void that's almost impossible to fill with anything yeah, else. Absolutely, especially, you know, when before the pandemic we were, you know, in London multiple times a week, you know, doing incredible things. So for it to like suddenly stop and not be able to even, you know, physically see each other or hug each other was quite, you know, brought you back down to earth quite quickly. I'm guessing there was a lot of, I don't know if they said it, but there was a lot of Zoom quizzes and FaceTimes and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, you know, <laughs> at the very start, we set up kind of like a, a routine very quickly of, you know, set points in the day where we knew we would talk. And that really helped. I think it's the hardest part is not knowing when you're going to see someone, not knowing when you're going to talk to someone. And so we kind of eradicated that straight away and said okay these are you know the set points in the day when we know we will get to talk and that has helped both of our mental health massively. I suppose like I said that that routine whatever it is with your partner or a structure to your day I think is is massively important for a lot of people especially if 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 you were someone who was used to say going to the office you know a generic nine-to-five job I think having yeah. that, even having that just, you know, that alarm at six in the morning and knowing you're leaving at five and just whatever gives you a structure to your day, I think is hugely underestimated, about was hugely underestimated and now is quite, you know, a lot of people are desperate to get that back. Yeah, exactly. You know, routine and structure is, you know, so key to getting through times like this. So, yeah, I think, I think we've touched on, uh, most things is anything else you want to want to say Sean? Um, I don't think so uh, so yeah thank you for for coming on to my podcast and, and telling myself and the listeners your story it's, uh, it's been a pleasure um, if anyone wants to find yourself whether that's social media or your shop or blogs photography or, you know, feel free to plug it all yeah, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Shona Louise blog. My photography is shonalouisephotography.com. My blog is shonalouise.com. And then you can find me on Etsy. Uh, it's Crochet by Shona. That's great. So, yeah, thank you for coming on and, and telling your story. Thank you to everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it just as much as I have done talking to Shona. And we'll catch you very soon.